Western Mass Veterans Radio, a show that connects veterans with the services and benefits they've earned. Now here's your host, Eric Segundo, Director of Veteran Services for Ludlow, and Jared Sasson, Director of Wilbraham Veteran Services. Hi, this is Eric Segundo, Director of Veteran Services for the Town of Ludlow, and... Jared Sasson, Director of Veteran Services for the Town of Wilbraham. And we are happy to be here today for the first show ever, Western Mass Veterans Radio. Beyond excited, Eric. Beyond uh, excited. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a show that's about uh, what we do as veteran service officers. Uh, we provide um, information for veterans, active duty, National Guard, family members, and spouses with information and services available to them at the state and federal level. Uh, each show, we're going to provide uh, information to military service, VA benefits, state benefits, housing and education, as well as in-depth interviews uh, with special guest appearances and one-of-a-kind perspective on veterans' issues. This is everything we talk about is veterans for this whole hour. Not that we don't do that at a full-time, all week long at work, but we're going to do it here Saturday morning as well. As part of the show each week, we'll have a, a guest veteran service officer from uh, one of our communities to talk about their city and town. Uh, and we'll also have special guests in the field regarding veterans' benefits uh, with this show. Uh, we want to educate our veterans and their families, uh, again, with anything that has to do with veterans' benefits and services that they've earned and they're entitled to. Uh, Jared, a little bit, tell me uh, a little bit about yourself, or at least tell the audience uh, who you are, what, what, where you serve. Yeah, so uh, my name again is Jared Sasson. I'm the Director of Veteran Services for Town of Wilbraham. I was in the U.S. Navy from 2006 to 2016. I was a damage controlman, which is just a fancy way of saying shipboard firefighter. Uh, I was uh, stationed, my first tour of duty was on the USS Harry S. Truman, aircraft carrier on Norfolk, Virginia. From there, I went to shore duty out in Boston. I was on the USS Constitution, Old Ironsides. Old and Ironsides. Old Ironsides. And there, you know, we had a saying there. A lot of people didn't realize because we saw, we saw people from all over the country. And they are like, are you guys, you know, sailors or tour guides? I said, you know, we had a saying that we weren't... Um, we weren't tour guides pretending to be sailors. We were sailors pretending to be tour guides. It was, it was, it was. Uh, but it was a great honor to be there as one of our, our um, honor guard type uh, duties that the Navy has. And then from there, they figured it was time to throw me back to sea. So I did uh, the rest of my uh, time in the Navy on the USS Cole tin can out of Norfolk, Virginia. Did a total of three deployments. Loved every minute of my time in the Navy, and almost as much as I love. Uh, Helping veterans daily. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, so you mentioned the Constitution. That's like the elite of the elite of the services or uh, assignments you can possibly get in the Navy. Am I, am I right on that? Absolutely. You know, we like to think it's, 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 it's our equivalent of the Army's Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Um, you know, everything about the uh, Constitution is, is it's steeped in tradition and history. And, you know, when you were there, you really actually got to learn from the curator of the museum. You got to touch the artifacts. You got to actually do the silent gun drills. So when we did it, we, we really were putting ourselves into that perspective. We we're actually the only, um, we're the only command in the entire U.S. Navy that were issued the uniform of the time period. Absolutely. So I've been on there several times. Um, and I've hit my head a couple times. For sure. So that, and I'm only visiting. I'm 
Is that something that, that's common amongst... Uh... Very common. <laughs> I definitely uh, don't remember any of the fifth grade because of whacking my head on those beams. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let me tell you a little about myself. Uh, I joined the Army in 2003. Uh, funny story. Um, I was unemployed at the time. And uh, I read an ad in the newspaper that said, you know, a job fair or something, something along that line. And it said, uh, come down to Federal Street in Springfield. Uh, well, I ended up at the Federal Building. And I'm walking in the lobby, and here's an Army recruit. And he's like, what you here for? I'm like, I'm here for the job for you. He goes, yeah, well, come on in. I got a job for you. <laughs> uh, and that was in the beginning of May uh, 2003. And by the end of the month, I was in boot camp. Um, and just for those listening who are interested in joining the service, do not join and go to boot camp during either Memorial Day or Veterans Day. So here I am, Memorial Day weekend, sitting in boot camp, uh, and then uh, I, that was at uh, Fort Benning, and then I went over to uh, Fort Leonard Wood for advanced training. I was a 88 Mike, I'm what they call truck driver, but we call it a motor transport operator. Uh, and then when I got out, I was stationed at Fort Stewart, Georgia. Um, I was given three choices, right? You pick the three choices, and here in the Army, you say, okay, Hawaii, Alaska, Italy, you know. Yeah, you don't get none of the three you pick. You probably get the last ones that you never thought of. Uh, it lucked out for me that uh, Fort Stewart was already currently on a deployment uh, overseas, so I knew that being stationed, I had a family that I would be able to settle my family down, uh, get them a, you know, housing and all that before the next rotation. We're, you know, Fort Stewart is called a, a rapid deployment base. Uh, 2005, I was in Iraq for a whole year, 2005-2006. Um, uh, and uh, prior to deployment, I had a had an injury during uh, physical training uh, on my foot, but you know I, I chose to deploy anyway. Um, but downrange, you know, we um, they prescribe emotion. They say suck it up and move on, and that's what I did. But as soon as I got back, I'm literally uh, I think it was probably like two weeks. I was in getting operated on the foot with the injury because it had healed incorrectly. So uh, that never healed properly, and all kinds of you know uh, medical treatments and therapies and electric shock all. All, everything the Army can give you, and nothing worked. Uh, at that point, it was too late. So in 2007, I was medically discharged. I uh, came home and uh, uh, did a couple things, went to school, you know. And uh, it was funny that uh, I, I visited uh, a veteran service officer office at the time, and, and the response I got, I wasn't happy with. Um, you know, you read stuff online, and then you go there, and they give you totally uh, different information. I said, this can't be right, and that's what led me into the position I am in today. Um, because I wanted to make sure that all our returning veterans were given adequate information and giving, giving them the services, everything that they deserved um, properly. So that's where I'm at. Uh, so this makes for this duel of Army-Navy. So even though the Army-Navy game is in December, it's going to be Army-Navy competition in this room Every Saturday morning. Every Saturday morning. It's going to be great. You're going to hear a lot of back and forth between me and Eric. And, you know, to touch on Eric's story, you know, I think that was the first time Eric has actually ever told me his uh, his military history. And it's it's funny because it doesn't matter 
Army, Navy, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, uh, whether you were active duty, whether you were uh, National Guard, whether you were reservist, we all speak the same language, and that language is of service. And uh, we're, we're, me, I can tell you right now, myself and Eric, we're very proud to be bringing you this information. Absolutely, and, and, and I'm glad that uh, we're able to do this and, and produce this show on a weekly basis where we're going to be able to pick a topic and expand on it uh, all, or, all hour long. Um, and part of our show, one, one thing we want to do is we're going to bring a, another veteran service officer into the show. Every week we'll pick a different VSO to talk about their community and what, what's happening in their, in their area, as well as um, some other stuff. So on the other side of the break, uh, we're going to bring our special guest, uh, our first guest of this new show, Stephanie Shaw, which she, uh, she's the uh, director of uh, Chicopee Veteran Services. She's going to tell us a little about, about herself and what's happening in Chicopee. So we'll be right back. Whenever someone decides to join the military, they're entitled to an entire suite of benefits, especially if they become ill, injured, or wounded in the line of duty. Many times it requires cumbersome government paperwork to be able to claim these benefits. The VFW is there to help service members and veterans navigate the benefits that they're entitled to. Let someone else handle it for you. Seek out an accredited rep if you need to find one visit vfw.org slash nvs or call 1-800-VFW-1899. This program is brought to you by Ludlow Community TV and the town of Ludlow. Ludlow Community TV is a public access television station broadcasting on channels 191, 192, and 193 on your Spectrum cable in the town of Ludlow. There's a word we hear a lot these days, but somehow it's lost its meaning. Heroes. Men and women whose sacrifice served a nation. When the guns are silenced and the battlefields grow quiet, they're still fighting. They need our help. The VFW is there for them. Will you be there for them too? Learn more at VFW.org. Hey, welcome back. Uh, so we have Stephanie Shore here in the studios with us today, and she is the Director of Veterans Services uh, for the City of Chicopee. Uh, Stephanie, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. I'm really, really excited to be a part of your new show. And we want to say thank you because uh, you are first guest. So tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your service. Uh, before you get into your job, let's talk about you and your military service. Um, so I... I never aspired to the military. Um, I find that a lot of veterans follow the footsteps of their previous generations or they have a mission or they just have this like, I want to do that job in this branch. And I, I'll say I won the dare. Um, somebody told me they didn't think I could handle it. And I said, watch me. So there I went. Um, high school sweetheart at the time had joined and talking about obstacle courses and things he was doing on drill weekends as a guard member and i said oh that sounds really cool and his dad was like Psh, you couldn't do that well 11 months later i sure did um that's awesome and so yeah my recruiter said hey what do you want to do what do you want to be you got a really good score on your asvab i said i don't know what's the hardest job a female can do and he told me military police and i'm pretty sure he just had a quota to fill but that's what i went with and that's why i went with it it was good and bad i, I think it was a job it was amazing 
my recruiter told me basic training is a head game. They're going to break you down to build you up. And as long as I kept on holding on to that, it really was an enjoyable experience. I knew what to expect. Um, joining the guard, you kind of had this, this preconceived notion right back in 2000 when I enlisted. They, they hadn't activated on federal missions in so long. You know, the risk was so low. It was going to be a part-time commitment, stay in the community. And that was probably a selling point for the recruiter, right? Oh, the National Guard, they don't deploy as much. I so. think it was because I was 17, so my mom had to sign off the contract with me, and I think that's why she signed it. But there I am in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri in September of 2001, and everything changed. Yeah, literally. The, the trajectory of what I thought I signed up for changed. And they didn't tell us about 9-11. We were all sitting around the barracks. We'd been cleaning for hours and hours and hours doing, like, waiting for room inspections, and then they just never came. Now, I mean, we were waiting from 9, 10 o'clock in the morning. They came through probably close to just before dinner time, uh, 4, 35 o'clock, and they walked through our room. They glanced at things. They said, buckle up, we're going to war, and walked back out, and we didn't see anybody else for a couple more hours. And so we're and, all like, and there's no media, there's no TVs, there's no phones. So no one's telling you what's happening. We you have just, no idea. Yeah, you, you may think this is just another drill sergeant they scaring had, you. They They're barely had you. clocks there. Right, right, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So we're all just, you know, sitting around going, this has got to be, you know, this is just a drill. This is just, they're trying to hype us out. They're trying to scare us. Somebody's in trouble somewhere. Where'd all the drill sergeants go? But it turned out we had one of the females in my unit, um, her significant other was at the Pentagon. So they were working with her to make contact with her family before they started releasing the news outwardly. And then they let us watch maybe 30 minutes uh, in the day room. We all gathered around this little tube TV. And then we went back to training. And, and that's so, when it hit that it's for real. No. Um, it really took a few more weeks of seeing it on the news. And then we're like, okay. So people started getting missions that they were leaving basic early because their units that they were being assigned to were being deployed. So people started kind of vacating uh, early. And then so we're like, all right, well, this is happening. And then I came home in November. So it was right after Veterans Day, right before Thanksgiving. And two months had passed. So the, the attacks weren't on the news every day. So, you know, we get all the way back to September of 2002, and it's the anniversary. And that was the first time I felt even a smidgen of what the rest of the country felt living that day, seeing it in the anniversaries and all of the memorials for each of the, um, the crashes and, and the collisions and watching that happen. Like, and they, and they recreated it almost on the news. Like this happened at this time and that happened at this time. And that I was like, wow, this, this was a thing. Like this was wow. And then I found out in December we were getting deployed and I was going to be going to Afghanistan. And, you know, 18 year old kid, you know, we all think we're invisible and, or invisible, ha, huh? invincible. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so we, and then I deployed to Afghanistan in 2003. I was gone for about nine months, January through September. A great experience. I mean, yes, it's a combat zone, but we're trained for it. We're prepared for it. We're equipped for it. Uh, but I got to train the first Afghan National Army. I was attached to third group special forces. They kind of dissected our company. So I was, it was only two platoons at the little base that I was at, the Kabul Military Training Center. I got to work with the German Army, the French Army, the Italians, um, Australia, Canada. Um, so it was just an amazing experience working with all those other allied forces, working with the Afghans, seeing the culture. I swear the most beautiful 
mountain view I've ever seen is in Afghanistan. The colors in those mountains was just gorgeous. It's funny how for us being deployed, you, you go to these other countries and we find things that amazes us, uh, like you mentioned, the mountains, where, you know, I was in Iraq and you are in the helicopter and you look down and every house and you can see the trash and everything, but every house had a satellite on their roof. You know, I thought that was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. Not weird, you right? Exactly. Not what you expect. Them, but I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. So, yeah, so that was my, you know, that was the, the big story of my military career. But ultimately a very fulfilling mission. You absolutely. Know. Absolutely. Uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Absolutely. You um, felt like you made a real big impact early on in the days of the war. Absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> I was I was 18. I was I was doing what I was told. I don't think I really grasped what I was a part of until many, many years later. Absolutely. To be honest, you know, it was just, it was just do the job, be with the people, um, you know, we would go into the villages, we'd go to orphanages, and the kids were just amazing. You know, the pictures I got standing on mountaintops holding flags to send home, because we knew the pride back home, right? We knew they wanted to see what was going on. And I'll never forget, you know, we'd, we'd hand out candy, we'd hand out clothes and all this. And I will tell you, at the time, the Afghan children did not like Twizzlers. They threw those back at us. Oh, <laughs> oh awesome. That's true. That is true. They didn't like them in Iraq. Either. See? Yeah. I, I don't just know. think it's so funny. You, you, you joined... Uh, your, your story is amazing. And you joined, and when you joined, you know, the reserves and the guard probably before you joined were, you know, very rarely actually deployed. And then you joined during a time period where they were probably most activated. Yeah. Well, I mean, I joined before that that switch was flipped. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah. Um, definitely changed the trajectory, changed the experience. You know, the whole mentality between the guard and reserves being a part-time service member shifted. And then we were training, you know, to the army standard and we were always, always moving forward. And, but yeah, so I did six years in the guard with that deployment to Afghanistan. And that deployment is what gave me veteran status. And it opened the door for me to be able to do the work that I now do with you guys today. Right, so that's a perfect segue to bring in your job in, uh, so, Stephanie, uh, we had this conversation uh, a while back. We talked about uh, the seniority within our Western Mass. We call it a family, right? All the veteran service officers that are really tight-knit. We're, we work together all the time. And, you know, all hours of the day, we're messaging each other. Always. Hey, I got a guy or I got a gal. I need your help with this kind of thing. For sure. So you've been now five years yeah. in Chicopee. So tell us how it started and... Give us a little bit about your community. Five great years. <laughs> Thanks, Jared. Great years. Uh, so I will say uh, seven years I did a job prior to this, the, starting this position, and that responsibility was supporting deployment cycles and military families th- through the Army National Guard. And I was stationed in Worcester for four years, and so I went out and I met all the VSOs in Worcester County because I knew that there was a relationship to be had there, the, the resources, and... When I shifted from the Worcester office to the Springfield office, I started reaching out to the VSOs here in Western Mass. And I will tell you, it was like coming home. The people that I met, I mean, I've, I've, I've met Eric then, I met Steve Connor then, and I saw what the VSOs did. So when the contract ended, I knew I wanted to, to try to find a community and be that VSO. So it happened very serendipitous, right? My contract ended in February of 17. There was an opening in Chicopee. Um, I applied in May, and I started in July. And it really feels like this is my dream job. I And it feels like it was yesterday. Uh, sometimes. 
sometimes and sometimes I can't, it feels like it was 20 years ago yeah some, sometimes <laughs> i can't believe that you know it's already been five years and then some days i can't believe it's only been five years absolutely I and every that. day is a new challenge every day is a new veteran or a family member but you're right the family that we have here in western mass i really think geographically we connect on a level that I don't know every other region of the state gets. Uh, you know, we work statewide with a lot of people and a lot of associations, but the connectivity that our VSOs have here in Hamden, Hampshire, Franklin, Berkshire, like the communication that we have, the we care about each other. It's absolutely. not just a job to most of us. Truly and, our family. Truly. Absolutely. And it wasn't always like that. It took time for us, you know, like any family to grow within each other's, but as uh, VSOs and different communities started retiring, the new VSOs coming on were more uh, welcoming to uh, to give, you know, to be part of this veteran. There's been a shift, absolutely. Yes. You know, this this position has been around since the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Massachusetts is the only state that requires every municipality to have a, a veterans director. But so the position isn't new, but I think the mindset over the last. I'll say seven years has really started to shift from we need somebody in this position to we want the best person possible in that position from the top down. And so I think, yeah, I I think what we do now isn't what was always done. And I think that's a really good thing. And the state has, uh, you know, incorporated some certifications, some mandatory trainings. So they were able, you know, I I always hear the story that VSOs back in the day, I mean, many years ago, Mm -hmm. they were picked, you know, the municipality, the mayor goes down to the local bar and says, are you a veteran? You're going to be my VSO. And that was the qualification to be a VSO. Absolutely. Because the state required they had one and they had to be a veteran, right? Didn't even have to read. Over time, you know, the more advocate, (laughs) over time, more advocates uh, advocated the state to change the rules to make sure that they were putting, especially with the generation coming home. With, with everything that was happening to them in their transition life, that they want to make sure that they were getting the proper uh, information. So they trained VSOs and they required them to take testings and certifications, and that's where we are today. Well, I think that coincides with the federal shift and the acknowledgement that the VA made about the uh, accessibility of benefits and the stereotypes pertaining to Vietnam and the de- Desert Storm guys. And so as the federal government shifted and op- started realizing the error of their ways and making things more accessible. I think the state saw that and said, we need to make that shift and we can't isolate. We need to be inclusive, not exclusive. And so I think the timing makes a lot of sense. I also think that it's, it's almost like a wildfire too. Like you get one good VSO and you know, like, like you said, we are family. We're also tough love style family where if we see somebody lacking, we will do our best to surround support, and, and, and really give that, hey, look, we're here, you're here, we need to get you up here. What do you need right. to get up here? And that's something, too. I, I definitely agree 100% with what Stephanie said. You know, uh, the VA has done a, a complete 180 in the last, I'd say, 30 years, especially with the PACT Act, which we'll talk more about next week. But with all these new uh, benefits uh, increasing, you know, the state of Massachusetts, one of our slogans is we're the greatest state for veteran benefits. We actually have we have to get on board with that as well. That's right. So, Stephanie, before we end this segment, tell us about something happening in your community, veteran related. That I know I'm going to leave it up to you because I know how proud you are that this is happening. So, tell us. Let us let us know what's happening. All right, I, I'll I'll bite to your nibble there. So yeah, so 
we launched for the first time ever within the city a citywide initiative to bring Reese Across America into Chicopee Properties. And we have eight cemeteries that have stood up their locations on the platform. We have our site coordinators. We've started receiving the sponsorships of wreaths. Several of our locations have supporting organizations. And not everybody understands, you know, how to get involved with wreaths across America and why. And so it is very, it's location specific. You know, somebody can't just give me a check and say, this is going to the city. Well, then that t- to me says you're going, I'm supporting the municipal, the four properties that way. But if you want to go to St. Stan's, St. St. Patrick's, Calvary, St. Rose, you have to go to that location's platform or volunteer network to make sure that the wreath that you're intending to lay at a particular location is is coordinated and facilitated that way. So we're really excited. We did launch late in the year, and but the fact that we do have um, anywhere from, I think, 40 was the lowest current sponsorship level and St. Rose I know has almost 200 already and to, to do that kind That's of amazing. work in just a couple weeks. Right. So for those of you that know Reese Across America is a program that uh, honors our veterans every every December by having a wreath place at their graves. Uh, and their motto is honor remember and teach, you know, honor our veterans and uh, remember them and teach our youth uh, the sacrifices. So uh, if anyone's interested in sponsoring a wreath, whether it's at uh, Chicopee or in Agawam, again, but let, let's go back to 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 mention this is Western Mass uh, prior to Chicopee joining only had other than Agawam one other location who had started Reese Cross America, and that was Ludlow. But we're we're small compared to the enormous uh, area of your community. We only have about 900 veterans, uh, and each year we meet our goal, which is not a problem. But you got a big challenge. You got what nine? So huge. Five hundred. We or have so? seventy five hundred veterans laid to rest within. We have eleven wow. cemeteries, and we don't have you know a veteran centric cemetery like they have in Aguam, the state yes. property. Um, we have two Jewish cemeteries. Nine of them are Christian faith. Or sorry, let me do math here. Two, yeah. So five of them are Christian-based faith, privately owned by a parish or a church, and then we have four municipally owned properties. And so, yeah, coordinating with everybody, and the goal eventually, you know, would be that 7,500 and get them everywhere. But this year, just to get the ball rolling, I think it's going to be really exciting to launch 2023's outreach right after the first of the year, because we'll have the momentum. Actually, on December 18th, the day after, right? I may I may take a week off. Yeah, you may. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But so if anyone's interested in sponsoring a reef uh, in Chicopee, contact the Chicopee Veterans Service Office. They can direct you to the specific cemetery or the site coordinator. So exactly. if you want to give them your number, uh, so you can, can call? call our office at 413-594-3470. You can find us on Facebook, Chicopee Department of Veterans Services. You can go through our website, chicopeema.gov under government alphabetically you'll find veteran services we are very accessible we're very responsive we try to get back to everybody within 24 hours if we can't do it sooner so please reach out you can also go on the reese across america website and it'll say sponsor at a specific location if you start typing the cemetery name it'll come up with a drop down of similar names and you can select it from there as well right and you know folks need to understand you don't have to have a veteran buried there to honor one correct Uh, civilians and strangers alike are always sponsoring uh, to ensure that our veterans are taken care of. We're a part of a very patriotic community, for sure. Well, Stephanie, don't go nowhere because our sh- every week we pick a topic to go talk about. And this week we're going to talk about Mass General Law Chapter 115 and the financial program that's provided to our veterans. Uh, and 
you're being here. You're gonna we're gonna stay on for the next segment. So we'll be right back. We went out on a, a morning patrol in South Baghdad, and we drove through electronically fired penetrator. I found out that I was gonna be at least temporarily retired from the military. The VFW has great programs in place to help wounded service members find their path. Once I got in contact with the VFW and starting a claim, they wouldn't let up. They make sure your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed. And they do a great job of taking care of us. To get assistance with your VA claim, visit vfw.org. This program is produced in partnership with Ludlow Community TV. Ludlow Community TV produces local programming and helps felicitate communications between the town of Ludlow, community organizations, and its residents. Three letters. VFW. They stand for help. Helping veterans find education and jobs. They stand for justice. Fighting for health care and benefits. They stand for the gratitude that a humbled nation will hold in its heart forever. We're the veterans of foreign wars. We're the VFW. No one does more for veterans. Learn more at VFW.org. Welcome back. This week's topic, we're going to discuss the Massachusetts Veteran Benefit under Mass General Law, Chapter 115. Uh, before we go into this, I just kind of want to state uh, we're going to be going under what the definition under Massachusetts General Law is of, of veteran service. But before we do, there is nothing worse to a VSO than when a veteran sits down in a chair across from us and says, you know, am I a veteran? And if at any point in your life you raised your right hand and took an oath to protect this country against all enemies, foreign and domestic, no matter what capacity of your service, years of service, however you served, you are a veteran. Now, under Chapter 115, Mass General Law, the Commonwealth provides a uniform program of financial and medical assistance for indigent veterans and their dependents, qualifying veterans and their dependents receive necessary financial assistance for food, shelter, clothing, fuel, and medical care in accordance with a formula which takes into account the number of dependents and income from all sources. Eligible dependents of deceased veterans are provided with the same benefits as if the veteran were still living. Yeah, so let's, let's break this down, and, and that's, a, that's a really good point. Um, this benefit also applies to a widow of a veteran just as if the veteran's still alive. There's no less money, more money. It's identical. So... As long as the widow has not remarried, they are eligible for that same benefit. So Absolutely. let's break it down. Uh, let's first talk about, uh, in terms of this program, there are veteran status requirements. Yes. And that's what we're going to break down today. For sure. So um, for this program, you've had to have served in one of the branches of service um, or full-time National Guard duty. Uh, last discharge under honorable conditions. So that could be a little confusing. If your first uh, bout with the military ended up not so honorable, um, but you re-enlisted and then you got another discharge that does say under honorable conditions, then you qualify for the service. That's right. That's right. And and if you have the, the, yep. the amount of time. The amount of time, yes. And, that, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's the, be the next part. Because... This is where it also gets a little bit confusing on the time period. So under Mass General Law, 
um, you had to have served at least 180 days of continuous active service. And this gets a little confusing because sometimes people will come in with two years of service, but the entire time they were in a, a training program. You know, some, some training programs for some of our uh, jobs are pretty intensive. I can tell you right now for the U.S. Navy, uh, if you came in as a nuclear engineer, your first two years are in school. Mm-hmm. So, so it's 180 days of active duty time other than training. Yeah, that doing your job. Doing your job. Yep. Or if you're a National Guard, you were activated on the federal orders, Title 10, and you were sent somewhere. You did something on federal time, not state time, absolutely. federal time. Yep, absolutely. Or 90 days of continuous active service with one day during a wartime period. Now, that doesn't mean you had to have stepped foot in country uh, of that war. But if you served at least one day again of 90 days continuous active time and one of those times meets our wartime period eligibility criteria, then, then that counts right. as And well. there's somewhere there's a break, you know, between Vietnam and then uh, Desert Storm. That, that's where the, where the confusion can be because even though we had units overseas doing stuff, we weren't technically in a war. Wartime but, period. You know, again, if you're overseas, then it, it, it makes no difference anyway. And a full breakdown chart can be found. You can Google that or you can go on mass.gov and look veteran wartime chart and that document will pop up and it's public knowledge. It's a public document. Anyone can go reference that piece of paper and it's the same document we all use. Absolutely. And and we don't want folks to go home and look at this chart and be like, well, I don't think I qualify. Go to your VSO. Let them tell you you don't have the, the eligibility requirements. Let us tell you that. Don't just assume based on what you're reading. Very much. You always want to ask. Absolutely. And so one of the key parts of this program, as we said, is the um, is uh, the veteran spouse or widow. That's also a, a really great part of this program, I think. Uh, you know, I can tell you only in, in Wilbraham, uh, most of my Chapter 115 applicants are actually the widow of the veteran. That's right. Um, but here's another good one. And I, we actually had this case at one point. Um, a child of a veteran can actually also receive this uh, benefit um, if the... Uh, the vet, there is a stipend for a veteran child under the age of 18, uh, or if the veteran's child is age 19, 23, who is still in high school or college, or a veteran's child age 19 or older who is considered totally disabled and was disabled before turning 19. That's one of the cases that I had was an adult child. Absolutely. Yep. And that eligibility is based on the veteran's eligibility, so the veteran has to have be currently living in Massachusetts or their last residence prior to passing was Massachusetts. For sure. Yep. And um, now let's talk a little bit about what the uh, other criteria, which is the, um, you know, well, well, before we go into that, yes, exactly. If you do qualify, then you could be eligible for cash assistance, medical expense reimbursements, and any type of emergency assistance within those limits. Um, so, so what are the current, uh, so for the audience, what are the current income and asset levels to meet uh, the eligibility for some assistance? Perfect. So for single, if it's just uh, one applicant in this case, you're looking at uh, the, the uh, limit of what they make monthly can't be more than $2,265. And for the asset level for that single applicant, again, this is if um, you know money in the bank, they cannot have more than eight thousand four hundred. So the, a lot of the questions we get as VSO is, "Hey, uh, does my house count as that asset?" That's a, that's a really great question. Uh, as long as it's your primary residence and you're still residing in that in in that as your domicile, it does not. But the second you are no longer 
that's your no longer your primary residence and the assessed value of that property or, or home absolutely would count so and so the veteran who has that second home at the cape 100 percent that counts that's one that's, that's, that's an asset throw him right out yeah of the that's right out of the program and then for for married income for the married the limit is no more than three thousand fifty two dollars a month um and the asset level for the married couple is currently at sixteen thousand six hundred now, now this is huge stephanie because these asset and income levels have changed dramatically just in the last Two three years. I say before COVID. Exactly. I think it. I think it was COVID yep. that caused these asset yep. limits Absolutely. because of yep. the money the government was uh, sending out the checks was throwing our Chapter One Fifteen uh, clients. Well, over and they hadn't. Assets. They hadn't adjusted them in decades. Right. You know, the cost of living even in Western Mass is higher than it was twenty thirty years ago. So we have to, if we want to be a supporting program and actual a benefit, then we have to make ourselves accessible and and stay with the financial times absolutely we'll call it you know we i get widows that call me or married couples and they're worried well i have you know a five thousand dollar life insurance policy does that count against me as an asset and all i have to tell them is it depends it depends on how that policy is written sometimes it could be sometimes no it's not um because there's also burial benefits under chapter 115 so it all depends whether it has cash value to it whether you can withdraw it or cash it in exactly Uh, and sometimes financially it doesn't benefit the client, the veteran, to do that. So all those are taken into consideration. And, and you know, for every rule, there's an exception. And for every gray area, at least in, in, in our eyes, a gray area would always benefit the veteran. Um, but we also talk about income and assets. Assets are strict, right? You, you're 16600 if you're married. If you got $17,000, you are off. There's no, there's no adjustment. But on the income side, it does, it's not black and white. What I it's mean by not. that, right, is because there are what's called the spend down. Stephanie, explain what the spend down portion can be. So, and this remember, this is all gross income, not net. So if you're on Social Security, you're getting the 170.10 that's currently the Medicare cost deducted. We have to count that in your gross income because that's where the medical reimbursement side comes in. So if you are at that limit as a single individual or a um, married couple household, Whatever that limit is, if you're at it, but you're paying Medicare, you're paying private insurance, you have co-pays, you have severe prescriptions, you have medical needs, that's when, if your income's a little bit over, we're going to subtract the overage and then still be able to reimburse you the balance of those medical expenses. All right. So for, for conversation purposes, uh, the income limit for a single veteran is $2,265. let us say they are... They, they add up their gross income and they're at twenty three sixty five. That means they're a hundred dollars over the income limit. So for our calculations, that hundred dollars now becomes their spend down, meaning it's the a first hundred dollars of whatever expense they have medical, we can't reimburse. Right. So, so if we it's can just re- Medicare instead of one seventy ten getting back, you're gonna get seventy ten. Exactly. Right. And yep. then anything uh, in addition to medical expenses from there. Exactly. That's yep. perfect. That's awesome. Absolutely. All right. So uh, talk talk to us uh, about how do they apply? Uh, what do, what do they need? What kind of so just to echo what you said earlier on is uh, you know even if you don't think that you qualify, you know how do you apply? You contact your local veteran service officer in the city or town where where the veteran or uh, the um, the the spouse of a veteran lives. 
Reach out to us, even if you are you feel like you're 100%, there's no way you meet this criteria, but you're struggling, it's still worth running through our office and let us look. Because well, there's other programs. You may not qualify for Chapter 115, Absolutely. but there are other state programs. Uh, even in, in my town, we have an emergency assistance account, a fund that can help one-time fuel assistance, that kind of thing. So don't hesitate to reach out to your veteran service officer and see what, especially now, I mean... I don't know about you guys, but my utility bill, my oil, my gas, all everything's going, going up, up so much. And people are 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 hurting mm-hmm. right now. So this is the time when you should see what benefits you have for you. Um, so if you're applying for 115, Stephanie, tell us what kind of documentation they're going to need for their application. Um, and I don't want people to get overwhelmed because it can seem very intimidating. Um, the process to apply for Chapter 115, because it's financially needs-based, the the application process and the supporting documents can, can feel very, uh, I've lost my word, but it can, it's an investigation. Mm -hmm. So it can, it can feel very intimidating, but you're going to need to prove eligibility. You have to provide us the documents of discharge. If it's a widow, we need the death certificate. We need the marriage certificate. We're going to show the proof that they were married to the veteran. Exactly. And then we also need proof of income and assets. So we're going to need a statement from every income source. If you've got three pensions, we need evidence of all three pensions. If you're underemployed, you may be eligible because you're not making enough. We can might be able to supplement, but we need the pay stubs. There's calculations that go in there. If you have checkings, savings, stocks, bonds, a 401k, an IRA, thrift savings plan, all those financial documents we need because that helps us calculate your gross income and your countable assets. And we need three months of those documents because that's a three-month look back on your, your assets. Because, again, you know, we've... Not us here. I don't think anybody in our community has. But it, it the rules were set because at some point someone, you know, the month before withdrew $10,000 and stashed it under their mattress and then showed up with a bank statement the next month. That made them eligible. That made them eligible. Yeah. So they made this three-month look back to make sure that, that, that monies weren't being moved around. And, and that's even, the sole purpose. We don't look at expenses. You know, we don't judge where anyone's spending their money or how they're spending their money. We're really looking at all the deposits. And we're going to look for any transfers or large withdrawals that need to be justified. And sometimes they are justified. They had to fix a roof. They had dental work that they had to do. And they didn't know before they came on our program. So if you can justify our the repair, expense. Yeah, absolutely. Paid off a burial. That's a, that's a paid yeah. off a bit. Yeah, exactly. So it, we're not judging the expenses. We're just verifying eligibility. Absolutely. We just don't want to make sure that you withdrew the money. To hide it, to, hide to transfer it. You know, it. And, and, and again, it's, it's happened very few and far between, but it, it has happened, and that's why these are, these are here. And I know uh, for other programs, Medicare and stuff, the look back is a lot deeper. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. The three months is not years. a reasonable <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, and, and also, if you have children, you have to show that they're enrolled in school if they're of school age. You need birth certificates. You, we have to see, we need to know what your insurances are, because if we're going to pay the premium, we need to make sure that, that we have the correct program, the correct statements. We need all of those. And then if you're under retirement age, there's, an, there's, there's additional elements to make sure that you are either actively trying to get into gainful employment and we're going to assist you in doing so. Or if you need assistance through the process of social security disability or a VA claim, we have a requirement of alternative sources of income. So if you may be eligible for something, we're going to help you apply. 
Right, and, that, and that's the whole point that we're going to help you get on your feet. We're going to give you we're going to give you a check every month until such time you could either get uh, federal assistance or some other program that will get you off of the one fifteen at, at some point. Yes, um, but I, we will never hold it against you. It, it, you know, and that's that's always the thing is that we want to be able to help you right now. That's what chapter one fifteen is: help you right now on the spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of our communities, cities, or towns can flip a check to a veteran once everything's met within a week. Or a week and a half uh, to get you on benefits. Uh, But then we're going to look and see if you're eligible for a non-service connected pension with the VA or uh, some other program, Social Security. You know, you may be at that age where you you may have to consider applying for Social Security or Social Security Disability. Yeah, once you turn 62, for sure. You know, I've helped people file for unemployment because they were just intimidated with that process. And a lot of us have the ability in our offices with a tablet or a laptop or a kiosk space that if people don't have that technology at home, they can make an appointment, come into our offices, and we can assist or at least provide the supportive technology so that they can do that in a more expedited way. Absolutely. That's amazing. So um, we're coming up on the time, but what I I lost my train of thought as you mentioned that. Um, if, uh, If a veteran is in need of services, who do they call? They should be calling their... This program is administered by the community. So if you live in Chicopee, you have to go to Chicopee. Not, if I don't like Stephanie, I want to go to Eric. It doesn't work that way because it, it's administered through the town, through mm-hmm. their program, and the state reimburses the town the monies that are, are given out. Yep. So a veteran or a widow uh, must go through their city or town where they live at. But I, that's what I thought about. What is the residency requirement for this program? It's one day. We really, we have to put you in our communities for at least one day, one overnight. And most of the time we're going to, we're going to fight on behalf of that veteran, behalf of that widow. We want to make sure that they're getting everything. And does that also apply to the widow? Absolutely. Every, every requirement that applies to the veteran applies for a widow. Right. So the vet, but the veteran, the veteran had to have been a resident of Massachusetts. At some point, yeah. At some point for the widow to qualify. If the, if the veteran was never in Massachusetts, he served somewhere else, he lived somewhere else, that widow has to wait. There is a time period, uh, three years, I believe it is. There's a three-year. Uh, but that's, again, only if the veteran has never lived in Massachusetts. Yeah. Correct. All right, so this ends our segment on Chapter 115. Again, contact your local veteran service office if you have any questions about this program. But it is one of the premier programs here in Massachusetts, uh, above all, and when they say that Massachusetts leads the way in servicing our veterans, this program uh, is one of a kind, and it proves that we do that. So Definitely a jewel in the Massachusetts crown, so to speak. Right. That's right. And we'll be right back. When our veterans came home from serving their country, the American Legion helped them with the GI Bill to get a head start. When they came home from Vietnam, we helped those affected by Agent Orange to get care and compensation. Now, a new generation is dealing with their own challenges. Every day, 22 veterans who put their lives on the line for our country came home and took their own. As it has for over 100 years, the American Legion continues to advocate for our veterans so when they leave service, there's a place for them to go to continue serving and, when needed, to get help. You've served surrounded by brothers and sisters. But it doesn't stop there. Your mission continues. We are the VFW. And as the nation's largest combat veterans organization, we're fighting for our brothers and sisters every day. From Capitol Hill to our own communities, join us in a fight for veterans, service members, and their families. We are the voice for veterans everywhere, and together we cannot be ignored. Learn more at VFW.org. 
This program is brought to you by Ludlow Community TV and the town of Ludlow. Ludlow Community TV is a public access television station broadcasting on channels 191, 192, and 193 on your Spectrum cable in the town of Ludlow. Right. Uh, welcome back. Uh, as part of as part of our show each week, we'll be featuring a weekly health update tip or topic from our local boards of health uh, in our community. And as we're getting ready to prepare for Thanksgiving, uh, this uh, health clip is brought to you by the Ludlow Board of Health. Hello, my name is Paulina Matusik, and I am the Public Health Program Coordinator for the Health Department for the Town of Ludlow. With Thanksgiving just around the corner. I wanted to go over some food safety to keep you all healthy and safe during your holiday season. Make sure when you're preparing food, you always wash your hands, kitchen surfaces, utensils, and cutting boards frequently, especially after handling uncooked food and before touching other foods. Make sure to always wash your produce. When you're cooking, make sure to use a food thermometer to check if meat is fully cooked and heated high enough to kill harmful bacteria. You're going to want to cook your turkey until it reaches 165 degrees Fahrenheit. The safest way to cook stuffing is outside of the turkey in a casserole dish. If you do cook your stuffing inside of the turkey, stuff the turkey just before cooking and make sure that the stuffing reaches a minimum internal temperature of 165 degrees Fahrenheit. The bacteria that causes food poisoning multiply quickest in the danger zone. The danger zone is between 40 degrees and 140 degrees Fahrenheit. You want to keep hot food hot and cold food cold. When you are storing food, make sure you refrigerate leftovers promptly. This is within two hours at 40 degrees Fahrenheit or below to help reduce the risk of bacterial growth. Make sure to prevent cross-contamination by completely and securely covering foods in the refrigerator. Make sure you consume or freeze leftovers within three to four days. If you have any other health department related questions, please reach out to your local health department. If you have any questions about how to prevent food poisoning, the symptoms of food poisoning, or if you or someone you know is suspected of food poisoning, you can always call the Poison Helpline at 1-800-222-1222. Experts are available 24-7, 365 days. I hope everyone has a happy and safe Thanksgiving. That was an awesome health tip from the Ludlow Board of Health. Thank you for that. And another thing we'd like to say with the upcoming holiday season is uh, if you plan on deep frying your turkey, Coming from an old damage controlman, please, for the love of God, make sure that it is dry before you put it in. And do not, do not try to deep fry your turkey inside of any type of structure like a garage. I've Or your kitchen floor. Or your kitchen floor, absolutely. Or your back porch. Oh, my God. So many, I can't count on how many hands or how many fingers I have uh, all the times that... uh, that turned out really bad while in the military. I've I've never cooked the uh, fried turkey, so I don't know. I They're delicious. We I, do them all the time. I hear it's delicious. They have to come over to your house uh, for Thanksgiving. Anytime. For anytime. Sure, for sure. So another great segment of our show is each week we want to bring you stories from our veterans. Our good friend, John Hurley, a Vietnam veteran, Purple Heart recipient, has for many years volunteered with the Veterans History Project to document our veterans' stories that were then archived in the National Archives. In speaking with John, he has graciously agreed to continue to help us bring uh, the stories of our veterans. So what we're looking for here at the show is uh, to interview veterans to feature each week on our show. 
this is a way to honor your service. If your veteran has passed away, you can honor their memory by telling their story. We ask that you contact John Hurley at 413-531-2802 or email him at hurls12 at gmail.com. Thank yeah. you so much. So that's that's going to be a great program. Uh, every week we're just going to feature a veteran, you know, just tell their stories because I, I think we need to let uh, the community know that we have heroes among us. Uh, so if a veteran uh, or even a family member wants to tell the story of their veteran to contact John, I'll give that number again, 413-531-2802. And I want to thank John uh, not only for doing this for, for his service. And, uh, John, if you're listening... Welcome home, brother. We appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much, John. All right, so we're coming up, uh, wrapping up our show here. Uh, next week, uh, we'll be joined by Jesus Pereira, the Director of Veteran Services out of the city of Holyoke. Uh, not only will we discuss this community and services to veterans, but our topic next week will be the PACT Act in Camp Lejeune. I know that uh, my office, I can guarantee you, Stephanie oh, yeah. and, and Eric as Th- well. This has been, uh, we are like on overload with the PACT Act, uh, the new laws that just passed, all the new presumptives, uh, Camp Lejeune. Uh, so, you know, and we want to mention this before we go because this is very important. Uh, I know many people on listening right now have heard these commercials three, four, five times within an hour on, on, your, on your normal show to reach out to the lawyer, call us if you've been affected by Camp Lejeune. We're telling you as veteran service officers to stop. Don't call any lawyer first. You call your veteran service officer or an accredited veterans uh, affairs uh, uh, accredited representative and talk about what you're entitled to as a veteran first before you go signing into these lawsuits. Because right now, the, the way the law is written, there is an offset. So if you are collecting benefits for the disability from Camp Lejeune and then you sue the government, the government's going to want their money somehow. They're not going to double pay yeah. you. At least that's how the law is written. And that includes being able to charge you for medical care that you've received. That's right. All of the expenses in the healthcare system for the veteran or the family member that may be receiving care through the previous laws. All of that, you could get a bill for that if you end up going through the lawsuit. So you want to educate yourself on the whole process. Absolutely. That's right. And, and most times, the, whatever the, the lawyer settles on, they're going to take their portion out of that. So, you know, for conversation purposes, let's say you got a $50,000 settlement. Well, the lawyer is going to take twenty, and they're going to give you thirty. Mm-hmm. But guess what? You still owe the VA the fifty. They don't care what you pay the lawyer. A lot of people are going to end up losing money. That's right. Absolutely. So before you go signing on to these law firms, call your VSO. File your claims with the VA and see what benefits you have. And for those family members that are not uh, that have been affected, you know that's fine. Go contact the lawyer because you don't have any VA uh, uh, unless you're receiving uh, death indemnity compensation because of the death. But again, this is where we say contact your VSO first. Let us explain to you what out what's out there for you first before you go signing a retainer and getting into the lawyer. Uh, with that, uh, Stephanie, one last shout out. Uh, we know uh, if someone wants to get a hold of your office uh, and, and need assistance, please give us uh, your final. Of course, of course. We're open five days a week, same as the municipality, Monday through Friday. Our office is open 7 to 4, and you can give us a call at 413-594-3470, and we'd love to answer your questions. 
Uh, pop by the office if you want. We'll we'll certainly have those conversations as we're available. And I would just want I just want everyone to know what's out there. None of this is secret. None of it's private. We're we're here to share it. Absolutely. Thank you again for joining yeah. us today. And thank you very much for your service. And that may, that concludes our show. I'm Eric Segundo, and I'm Jared Sasson for Western Mass Veterans Radio. Cheers.